The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm Thomas Nagley. I'm here with Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. And he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And you? Great, Father. Great Good to be to back. Good to see you, always. Yes, yes. Uh, Father, several things you'd like to talk about tonight, but uh, first, <coughs> I guess, do you have any prayer requests you'd like to... Uh, well, I always ask people to pray for the Church, of course. Uh, uh, the church militant on earth, right? uh, souls who are struggling under the circumstances, uh, pray for them all. And uh, of course, pray for our country. Our country is in need of, seriously in need of prayer right now. Pray to our patroness, the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady, Our Lady under that title of the Immaculate Conception. And of course, uh, there are many individuals. Um, uh, please continue to pray for the repose of the soul of Bishop Kelly and also Father Randolph. My dear friend who passed away years ago, uh, please keep in your prayers uh, the soul of Father Campbell, died in Texas after a long, long life of service. Uh, pray for priests who are ill, Father Greenwell, of course, our own Father Greenwell, has been ill for some time. We hope he's recovering now. Uh, also pray for Father Zapp, Father Thomas Zapp, also uh, Father Terence Finnegan, and Father Leo Carley. I understand that... Uh, they have been in the hospital. Some might still be in the hospital. So please uh, continue praying for them. And uh, a number of other priests who have passed away recently. Uh, pray for those who are ill, Monsignor Headworker and uh, Dr. Michael Zanone. Actually, um, Dave Nelson, who we prayed for, uh, came through the surgery fine. And he's, he's, as he sends his thanks for those who prayed for him. Uh, please continue your prayers for Monica Condit and for Barney Kunkel, pray for Priscilla Zajarto and Cheryl Johnson and many, many others. Okay, God knows who they are. If you pray for all of those intentions, uh, come to us here at What Catholics Believe. God knows who they are, and uh, our Blessed Mother keeps them close to her Immaculate Heart. So um, not only will they be blessed, but you will be blessed in your prayer, too. Very good. <clears throat> Thank you for that, Father. Appreciate so, it. Um, I mentioned we have uh, several viewer email to get through tonight. We uh, we did want to just briefly mention, though, Father, we're um, you know much of our, our show consists of answering viewer email, and we're certainly very appreciative for all the uh, all the feedback that we get, all the emails we receive from our viewers. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, a lot a lot of great questions in there, a lot of very weighty questions, as you know. And uh, we've we've noticed though that that a lot of the uh, questions. Uh, seem to be growing in length sometime, and it makes it very difficult to um, to actually answer all the questions. It can actually uh, <coughs> impede um, getting to all of them and, and getting your response to all of them. So mm -hmm. we would ask uh, our viewers, if, if possible, to try and uh, try and limit their questions, try and make them a little bit more concise. I think it would uh, be very conducive mm -hmm. to uh, to not only the the show but um, even just getting an answer to these very important questions. It's much so. easier to address a twenty five word or less question. Than to address a 25-word or less question with a 2,500-word preamble <laughs> that try, that ex sets it up, <laughs> explains it, yeah. uh, where you have to do research and so on, um, even to get to the questions. So, um, yes, if if they could simplify the questions. Also, I noticed that in some cases you get uh, uh, paragraphs and paragraphs asking multiple questions. So you know we might receive an email that in the course of a uh, few paragraphs asks five, six, maybe ten questions. So, 
Uh, it makes it a little, little difficult for you because you have to try to distill it down to the the uh, the gem. <laughs> and um, and I appreciate the effort you put forth in doing that, Tom, because it is uh, it is an effort to do that. But it is because you you value you value the questions and you uh, you want to uh, get answers for them. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of great questions we receive. I think almost on a daily basis. Um, mm -hmm. But um, let's uh, get into some of those questions, Father, if you are up for it. Um, the first one was a, uh, a question about Islam, actually. We had a uh, viewer requesting your thoughts about Islam. He references the protests going on around the world since October 7th with open displays supporting Hamas and Islamic terrorism. He mm -hmm. says these uh, protests are very concerning. He writes, I have heard that Muslim immigrants seek to come to a host country, not adapt to the culture, and then slowly impose Islamic values that are contrary to Christian values. So he says, I would be appreciative if Father Jenkins could provide a traditional Catholic answer to how we should think of what is happening in the wow. world in this regard. Well, it, it is a, an obligation of all those who are Islamic, really, who truly are Muslim, to uh, impose Sharia law wherever they go. It's a moral imperative for them. <clears throat> and so wherever they go, they, they go with that intention. Um, they're, they're even instructed, you know, when you have a minority of Muslims, uh, they have to, in a sense, be more cooperative, kind of, um, you know, not be, not be too aggressive until they, the numbers increase to the point where they actually have power to impose power. And finally, when they have the necessary um, population in a country to impose power, they have an obligation to do it. Somebody says that they they grow little by little. Well, it's true that that uh, that incremental growth of influence seems to happen slowly in the course of time. But when they get to the point where they have a majority or have enough support uh, politically or even militarily, uh, then it's not gradual anymore. Then it's immediate that they. Uh, impose uh, tyrannically Sharia law. <clears throat> and um, as I say, I mean, th this is their mission. This is what is imposed upon them by Muhammad in uh, the Quran, right? This is what they understand they have to do. Their imams, their muftis and all the rest, they're all reminding them of this obligation to follow Sharia law and to then get to the point where they can impose it on everyone else. Uh, the objective is to um, make the world Muslim uh, by force, um, and um, those those who will not embrace Islam have the choice of either death, taxation, or slavery. That's ultimately the the choice that they're going to have uh, for those who will not embrace Islam. And there are literally millions who have been enslaved by Islam in the course of time. They're the big, greatest slavers in the history of mankind. Yeah. It's an essential part of Islamic teaching that those who are not going to be the slaves of Allah must be their slaves, uh, enslaved by them, to work by them. Um, I understand that uh, when Muslims come to a country where there is a welfare program, it is actually considered to be right in their my eyes to uh, tap into that welfare program because they believe the dimi, the dimi, <clears throat> the people of the pack, that's us, have an obligation to provide for them who are Islam, of Islamic, because we are not and they are. And that they, they see that as a form of uh, our, our servitude to them, that we, out of public largesse, <clears throat> uh, pay for them. Um, they might not have been able to enslave us yet, but, but this is one way in which they consider that uh, justice is done whereby we are subjugated to them because they are in the welfare roles and we are, you know, the, the society, the non-Islamic society is actually paying their way. Um, so anyway, um, you know, there, there are plenty of Islamic writings um, that spell this out. I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not inventing this. I'm not imagining it. There are plenty of writings of their own, uh, their own leaders who uh, tell Islamic peoples that this is exactly what they must do, and they have, they have an obligation to Allah to do it. Um, and if they don't, they're failing. They're very bad Muslims. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? 
Um, that doesn't mean that all Muslims see it this way. Um, but the fact is that many, many do see it and take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's uh, curious that, well, not curious, we have imported uh, tens of thousands of Islamics from all over the world because the countries in which they're living are virtually unlivable. Uh, these are considered refugees who fled their own Islamic countries. And they've come to this country and they've formed enclaves and they are uh, often, it seems, hotbeds of Islamic activity, which would be, could be considered to be Islamic uh, uh, cells of influence, right? And um, that um, when, you know, with the October 7th attacks, uh, Hamas in Israel has brought out uh, that population, that population and their supporters, have turned out en masse in various cities in the country, uh, staging protests, riots, uh, occupying highways, you know, shutting down traffic and all the rest of normal life for other people. And um, this, this would be considered to be not only normal, but, but again, a kind of a matter of mission for them to do that. But we've brought them into this country, we've set them up, we're providing for them, and uh, this is how they act and react. Uh, can we be surprised? No. What should we think? We should think are, that the leaders who have, have actually uh, set this up are traitors, that they have actually betrayed us, their country, into the hands of these people now who are here uh, to basically not only disrupt American life, the lives of Americans, um, but to actually impose their way of life on them. Yeah. Father, why... It is, it is an invasion. We're talking about the invasion yeah. in the southern border. The invasion has been going on for a long time. It's been sponsored by the government. Mm -hmm. Why, um, you seem to be espousing a very traditional Catholic viewpoint on this matter, Father. Why, though, in the Novus Ordo, is, um, it seems to be the exact opposite, where we're, we constantly hear uh, from Francis and his Novus Ordo priests that, uh, you know, Muslims, they, they worship the same God as us, but you have the same God, and, uh, you know, Francis is constantly all, all about the, the migrants. We have to support these migrants because as Francis refugees. Francis is a traitor to the faith. He's a traitor to Christ. He's a traitor to the church. He detests the Catholic faith, <clears throat> and um, he's all about the wokeness of the World Economic Forum, which he's just blessed. It's Look, Francis actually brought a pagan idol into the Vatican. He blessed it publicly. He enshrined it publicly there, <clears throat> not only in, at St. Peter's Basilica, but in other great basilicas of, uh, of Rome. Um, <clears throat> He has embraced the neo-paganism of the indigenous religions um, of the Amazon. He personally represents those and embraces those. Uh, he speaks much more respectfully and lovingly of those pagan uh, and now neo-pagan religions. Well, well, at the same time, he speaks with nothing but disdain about Catholicism, traditional Catholicism. He's a traitor. And... Um, so, but if he says that Catholics worship the same God as the Muslims, but he's also saying that Pachamama represents uh, the Blessed Mother. So his idea of God, quote-unquote, is the neo-pagan God, the neo-pagan concept of God. Uh, and the man is not to be taken seriously. He is not to be understood as speaking as a Catholic or representing the Roman Catholic faith or religion which he detests and which he is actually actively trying to destroy. It is no accident that the World Economic Forum, which met recently, um, <clears throat> uh, featured Pachamama. And I mean, the same idol that Francis set up in the, in the cathedrals and the, the basilicas in Rome, the same idol which he publicly blessed before the world as it was being worshipped in the Vatican Gardens. Um, that same idol makes its appearance at the World Economic Forum. And notice the purveyors of the Marxism, communism at the World Economic Forum are atheists. They're, they're avowed atheists. Uh, their head theoretician 
whose name has become rather, he's not quite a household word, but it's, it's getting there. Um, Noah Yuval Harari, H-A-R-A-R-I, right? Harari. Um, he is, again, a homosexual, atheist, Jewish man uh, who's a historian. And uh, he is the great the theoretician uh, for the World Economic Forum. He says, God is a myth, Christ is a myth, human rights are a myth, quote-unquote. Um, this perverted man um, doesn't believe in, in God as we know, we know God to be. <clears throat> He's made no doubts about that. He says that they are going to be the digitizers, the ones who can digitize humanity and create homo digitalis. Uh, they, they are going to be the, the new gods. They will create their own world. <clears throat> and in fact, they're in the process of doing it right now, under his direction, so he thinks. But uh, just recently, they had a woman, shaman, from uh, the Amazon come and perform her shamanistic ritual, the indigenous ritual, invoking her, quote-unquote, gods, the forces of nature, and the spirits of nature. And then she went from one speaker to another, as they were arrayed on the, on the stage, and she puffed into their faces, you know, as part of her ritual. And uh, it, was, it was really, um, it would be comical if it weren't so tragic. Comical, because these are the people who were just warning about disease X, and they're so concerned about COVID-19 and all that. And here she is puffing into their faces, right? No masks or anything, of course, not for them. And I don't know what she was coming out of her mouth. It was probably more than breath, because I would imagine she's possessed diabolically possessed. And what she's puffing at them, well, heaven only knows what spirit she's puffing at them. <clears throat> but uh, she is a priestess of Pachamama. And so we have brought together there very graphically the indigenous worship of a pagan idol to whom children were being sacrificed and have been sacrificed for actually hundreds of years. Uh, not only featured at the Vatican, and on the, uh, the Vatican Synod on the Amazon, and, and worshipped in the churches of, of, uh, of Rome, thanks to Francis. But we have it now featured uh, as a religious ceremony uh, at the World Economic Forum, which has rejected the very idea of God as he has revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are all now in favor of the, again, indigenous religions. They want to go back to the paganism of old, just as Francis does. Francis, Schwab, the rest of them, they're all cut from the same cloth. It's not Catholic. It's not Catholic cloth at all. Mm -hmm. So um, that is why Francis is all in favor of this. He wants to destroy what we know as Western civilization insofar as it is founded upon belief in Christ, has any notion of a one true son of the one true God coming as the Savior. Francis wants to destroy that idea. Mm. He wants to replace it with the neo-pagan modernist concept of God. Uh, do we have any uh, information, maybe from private revelation, about what kind of role Islam will, will play in the end of the world and the, the times of the Antichrist? I've, I think I've heard before that uh, the Islamic people will be among the first, uh, maybe after the Jewish people, to accept the Antichrist. Um, have you heard anything like that? Any? They certainly will play a role in that. Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. <clears throat> yes, uh, you see, the Antichrist can play into false concepts of God. The one thing that will expose him is the true concept of the true God. Uh, but the Antichrist can take all of these false notions of God, and he can play them and make them fit himself. <clears throat> but he, he is the Antichrist, and he will be the Antichrist. And so he cannot, he cannot uh, in any way fit into or be compatible with any true understanding of God as revealed by Jesus Christ. That will be the enemy. That will be the one great heresy the world will reject. That is belief in Jesus Christ, the true Jesus Christ as the true Son of the one true God. Yeah. You know, um, again, the, uh, the indigenous religions worship the spirits of nature, and they see God as imminent. I mentioned neo-paganism. 
Francis is a neo-pagan. There's no doubt about it. That's what he is in religion. <clears throat> and um, he believes that God is imminent in nature, as all modernists believe, because modernists are pagans. Uh, ultimately, their concept of faith is paganism. Their concept of God is paganism. They believe that God is imminent in nature. And, uh, in fact, there might even be a question uh, related to that. So that there are those who, you know, worship God in, in nature, they see God in nature, they find inspiration, right, by looking at nature and seeing the wonders of nature. And, and uh, what is the difference between them, right, and the interior prayer and finding the voice of God within, right? And uh, so, and the, the essential difference is that there are those who actually, as neo-pagans, actually find God imminent within nature. And uh, Catholics, on the other hand, we understand that God is not nature. We, we are not pantheists. We believe that God is the creator of nature and that God's glory and his power and his beauty are reflected in nature. But it is not God within the nature. Um, I had a fellow once, uh, in, I was in Puerto Rico for a short time, and this uh, otherwise very intelligent, thoughtful individual was telling me that he believed that God is the sum total of all the energy in the universe. And when he said that, he said it with such reverence, that God is the sum total of all the energy in the universe, as though that made God something wonderful, great, unfathomably great. And you know what? That is an insult to God. That's a blasphemy. God is not the sum total of the energy of the universe. God is the creator of the sum total of the energy of the universe. God willed it all into existence. He is infinitely greater than the sum total of the energy in the universe. <clears throat> so even though he thought, I guess, that he was somehow flattering God and honoring him by, by conceiving him in this way, he was, he was denying the very nature of God. And... Um, as infinite goodness, infinite power, infinite truth. And um, it was hurling a terrible insult. But this is the, this is the concept of the neo-pagans, that God actually is one with the universe. So they might see a waterfall. What's the difference here? Practically, if a Catholic, if a Catholic sees a, a magnificent waterfall, the Catholic will look at that and be awestruck by it. Look at the power of it, the beauty of the water cascading, and, and all the rest. It's power, and yet it's controlled, and it's ordered. And we see in that a reflection of the divine order and the divine power. Only a reflection. And we say, God has made this. God has made this. <clears throat> this is his work. And his, his power is infinitely greater than this. But as impressive as this is, it, it is a very limited representation of the infinite power and beauty of God. And we see how impressive even that representation is. But the neo-pagan will come and say, Oh, here we have the God of the waterfall. Let us bring sacrifices to the God who lives in the waterfall. And the waterfall is God, or his habitation, and he dwells herein. And, uh, you know, they make the waterfall one with their God. And so now they have the God of the waterfall. Totally different from any Catholic concept of that. Um, the relationship is, is completely different. So you might have with the seas, you know, everywhere you went, the pagans would assign gods to the trees, the forests, to the seas, right, to the, to the sun, and so on. And uh, they would see that God is imminent in that force of nature. Um, that's pantheism. And it is neo-paganism. This is the one world religion of the future. And the one religion that will not be tolerated is a religion that sees God not as imminent in nature, but God who is outside of nature and who is created out of nothing by the power of his infinitely dynamic will, you know, and that um, uh, that 
he is the judge of all nature and all mankind. Right? Um, this, uh, this fundamental difference in an understanding of who God is uh, lies at the root of uh, actually all modernism and all the neo-paganism of the day. And it, it explains why the one religion that will not be tolerated in the future will be, well, traditional Catholicism, which is represented most perfectly in the traditional Latin Mass, which is why it too now is being targeted for surveillance. Because those who believe in God, as he is represented in the traditional Latin Mass of the Church, the traditional uh, Holy Sacrifice of Calvary, this is to them, them this is the heresy to them. This is such an, an, an anti-woke idea of a uh, preeminent God outside of creation um, that, uh, that it is something that they cannot tolerate to coexist with their neo-pagan modernist idea. Why, Father, would they not want, how could they not see the value in, uh, in worshiping a God that um, the, a creator uh, of the universe rather than, um, I mean, it's, it's stooping to worship God in a waterfall or a sea or a tree. Um, it seems to be much greater, obviously, as the Catholics do, to worship a God who actually created all They of don't want a God like that. Why? Why? They don't want a God to whom they're responsible. You know, the Gnostics, I mean, there's another name that we, you know, they throw around. Francis has thrown that around and having no concept of what it really means. <clears throat> But Gnosticism was a belief that the God who created this world was an evil God who imprisoned the good God. That's you and me, okay? We are shards, as it were, of the good God who are imprisoned here in this world by a, an evil creator God, a demiurge. And our salvation comes, supposedly... Christ taught this. This is the Gnostics' way of their Christ taught them that their salvation comes from realizing that they are divine, that you realize you are part of a God, and I am part of a God. And as soon as I realize that I am divine in nature, then I can begin to rebel against the Creator God, the God who created this world, to refuse to obey His commandments, to refuse to, to obey His precepts. And insofar as I defy him, I am freeing myself from his servitude. I'm escaping this world. The Gnostics believe there are three kinds of people. They believe, and I'm talking about modern Gnosticism too, like, like neo-paganism. <clears throat> they believe that there are the materialists who don't believe there's anything spiritual. They think they're the grossest form of human life. But then there are the, the, uh, the religious. That would be you and, you and I are religious. We believe in spirit. We believe we have soul. But we yet do not realize that that soul of yours and mine, that that is God imprisoned here. We don't realize our identity yet. We are spiritual. We are, we are, we are I'm sorry, religious. And so we follow moral codes. And that's the moral code that keeps us in bondage here. But the spiritual, that's the third and the highest level of humanity. Those who are spiritual, not religious. You might have heard that before. <laughs> it's a mantra they pass around have come to realize that they are God, that they are spirit, and they are God. <clears throat> and their godliness expresses itself in living according to their own rules, not God's commandments or morality or anything of the kind, but according to their own rules. And in doing that, they are asserting their wills and they are breaking free from the bondage of the evil God who put them here. And the ultimate goal of all this is for every single divine human soul here to eventually come to the point where it can escape the bondage and the good God can only be reassembled. All of these particles or shards of God that have been shattered into, you know, billions of, of pieces by the evil God and imprisoned here, they will all coalesce and the good God will once again uh, return to his natural state as the, the, the true God. But the evil God, in their mind, is, 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 uh, is the creator of mankind who imprisons them here. That's the important thing. That's how they consider the God whom we call Father, and whom Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ called Father, actually. 
So, um, but why would they reject a God who is transcendent, not imminent? Why would they want a God who is outside and over the world? Uh, actually, uh, who created the world by, by an infinitely powerful act of his divine will. That's how powerful he is. That's how transcendent he is. Because they don't want to be subservient to such a God, and they do not, they can't be a part of that God. They will always be his creatures. That even, even the teaching of Christ that by grace we can be adopted as the children of God, they don't want that. Because if they have a God who's imminent in nature, and they are part of nature, then they are part God. They're part of that nature that they worship. And that's what they really aspire to. That's what Satan told Eve, you know. Uh, God told you not to eat of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he knows that once you do, you'll realize that you are God. This is the temptation that mankind has been uh, biting on ever since. They want to say, no, God, nature is God. God is imminent in nature. The spirits of nature are the true gods. And I am part of that nature, not here to denominate, to dominate and cultivate that nature, but I am here to rather harmonize with that nature and blend into it, and there I will find my true destiny. There I'll find my true divinity. That does sound exactly like the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Is that why there's, uh, we see today such an obsession with the environment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All the, all the absolutely. moderns. The environment is a form of... <clears throat> God, earth worship, right? Francis continually says that uh, Mother Earth is offended. Mother Earth is wounded. Mother Earth is, is angry yeah. because of the way we must treat Mother Earth. You know? Pachamama is a prime example of that. Uh, the, the, one of the great representations of Pachamama um, is the serpent. And that is why when they actually had displays in honor of Pachamama on the floor of St. Peter's Basilica with Francis, um, <clears throat> they had uh, the images of serpents crawling toward the center with the image of the, the pregnant uh, uh, female form. Um, the, the serpent is a, is a manifestation, is one of the, uh, you might say, quote-unquote, incarnations of, of Pachamama. And um, that, that also pretty much ties it together. Um, but uh, mankind wants, does not want to be merely adopted by God through grace. Uh, mankind wants the crown and wants to be God, mm -hmm. nothing less. Any more than Lucifer wanted to be uh, crowned with the beatific vision in heaven, that wasn't enough for him. But he would not serve, right? I will not serve. He's quoted in the sacred scripture saying that because uh, <laughs> If he's a creature, then he has to serve. He's created to serve. And only if he is God himself can he escape that servitude. So that's why he demands that um, he, wants, he wants to think of himself as God. He wants us to think of him as God. Mm -hmm. That does uh, seem to tie it all together in a certain sense, Father. But um, uh, I think uh, any Catholic with a supernatural, eternal perspective on things could uh, perhaps be a bit concerned about that because it seems that uh, what we see going on in the world today uh, almost appears to be like a, a culmination of that original temptation of, yeah. of Satan. It seems like there's he th this is his this is his ultimate temptation, and it mm -hmm. seems that he's been very uh, successful in the world today. He's had so many people that are willing to give in to that temptation and and go <clears throat> along with his uh, with his uh, plan. Well, even those who consider themselves Catholics, uh, insofar as they follow Francis, they are following this. Yeah. They are following this message. That is his message. Yeah. What should a traditional Catholic do when he realizes <laughs> he sees this going on and he sees this, uh, this temptation that's kind of sweeping the world? It should right make now. him all the more determined to be faithful to the traditional Catholic faith that he has and uh, to the practice of that faith and the traditional Mass, traditional sacraments, and not compromise. Realize you cannot compromise with neo-paganism. You cannot compromise Catholicism with neo-paganism. You cannot compromise Catholicism with modernism. 
those who, who again, uh, deceive themselves in thinking that they can practice traditional Catholicism within the Novus Ordo, within the new order of Francis, they are really deluded because uh, the modernists understand that there is a, a, an intrinsic uh, exclusion. It is, it is, they, they, they cannot tolerate traditional Catholicism or the principles, the doctrines of traditional Catholicism. Uh, the modernists have not only an aversion to this, but they hate these. Francis himself has come out and said he, he has an aversion to doctrine itself, the very notion of doctrine. Because his idea is the modernist idea that faith comes by experiencing God in, in the world around you. Okay, um, It's not a matter of divine revelation from and a transcendent God telling you truths that are beyond the power of human understanding, but we have to simply bow our heads and um, submit our intellects to supernatural truths about God, who God really is. Um, Francis does not accept that. Well, look, recently, what did he just say? The prime example. He says, well, it's not doctrine, but I prefer to think of hell as empty. Okay, so what is doctrine for Francis? I mean, in terms of his belief, he prefers to believe that hell is empty. Okay, so when it comes down to a matter of, uh, you know, like the doctrine of the Catholic Church, the teaching of Christ and so on, his preference is not that. His preference is to think differently. Okay, so um, th that is very significant. It tells a lot about the character of the man and the, the non-faith of the man. He, he's as anti-Catholic as a human being can be. Francis yeah. Bergoglio. Yeah. And... Um, all people have to do is actually listen to what he says, watch what he does, and it's unmistakable. Mm -hmm. They well, have to stop trying to impose upon him any Catholic veneer. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Modernism is a synthesis of all heresies. Who said that? St. Pius X. St. Pius X, right? And yeah. condemning the errors of the modernists. Yeah. So we, we cannot allow ourselves to forget that. Once we do, we're in danger of compromising our faith. And that's the way that, that leads to the loss of faith. Yeah. It does seem, though, Father, that Francis has some kind of concept of, uh, of doctrine because he, um, he will, one of the things we wanted to mention tonight was, uh, you know, this recent um, pronouncement document, whatever, that he put out about the, uh, the same-sex blessings mm -hmm. for, for, oh. for the couples. He, uh, you know, talks about how anyone who doesn't agree with that they have uh, I forget the exact phraseology or something like they have the the like reflex, schismatic tendencies or something reflection like that. of a schismatic tendency yeah, yeah, some or flowery something that, uh, like that but he he yeah, seems that uh, his, if he has any concept of doctrine or dogma whatsoever it's it's his pronouncements everything he says is, ma is magisterial um, mm -hmm. you know you have to listen to that if you don't then you're you're schismatic you're disobeying yeah, him and, that's true even among his own new order of issues now. They're arguing whether what he said is magisterial or not. Yeah. Whether it's authentic magisterium <laughs> or unauthentic magisterium. <laughs> they have to invent all these categories, <laughs> new categories to fit Francis because the traditional Catholic categories don't fit Francis. Right? He doesn't fit any of them. But, but he also said that the, the, the African bishops' conferences, uh, they're a special case. Yeah. He said, other than them, <laughs> There are just small groups of kind of uh, errant, uh, with strange tendencies, who oppose his same-sex couple blessings, right? Yeah, he said small ideological groups. Small ideological groups. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but then he has to account for the African bishops, right? Who basically, as a as a one man, have stood up and said, "No, we, we don't accept these things." So he has to say, well, they're in a separate category. He said that's just their culture. They culturally determine that, uh, you know, this vice was something ugly. So uh, it's, oh, just the, it's, just, oh, oh, it's just their okay. culture and there's just some, okay. there's just some small ideological that's, that's group. That's not anyway, ideology, though. though. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Okay. It's just a so, cultural point of view. So. Okay. Well, uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this is why mankind uh, is going to be led down this primrose path of of neo-paganism. Yeah. It'll have a new new name, of course. But um, it's interesting, academics have pointed out that if, if Marxism were to have a religion, it would be pagan, neo-paganism. Yeah. There are academics have actually made that connection, saying that, you know, all Marxism really needs 
to make a real, real wide impact because it hasn't really succeeded in taking over the world. Um, Marxism needs to have a religious dimension. And academics are pointing out that the perfect religion to, uh, to, to correspond to Marxist teaching is neo-paganism. So I think what we're witnessing now is that uh, that horrible uh, marriage, <laughs> that false uh, marriage of neo-paganism and Marxism, and that is why it is so virulent and so deadly and so influential now. Yeah. Well, one immediate example that comes to mind is, um, you know, if you talk about Marxism and how they just, the whole doctrine, <laughs> to use a phrase, is uh, just destroy what is there um, so that, you know, what, what is next can come. And I think um, one immediate thing that comes to mind is with the liturgy, mm -hmm. uh, the Catholic liturgy. I mean, that was one of the immediate things that the, the modernists, when they seize control, one of the first immediate things that they began doing was destroying the liturgy, changing exactly. the liturgy. Well, and, there's um, a correspondence between the rule of faith and the rule of praying, yeah. the rule of believing and the rule of praying. And they realize that we can, we can attack the rule of believing by attacking the rule of praying. Yeah. We change their prayers, we'll change their faith. Yeah. By the way, Tom, you mentioned something um, interesting about environmentalism being all part of this. Uh, uh, I mean, <clears throat> we went from, you know, Islamic influence in societies to environmentalism. And uh, is this part of this new belief system? and uh, neo-paganism, and absolutely it is. You know, I mean, we, we quoted before a man named Ettore Gotti Tedeschi, who was the president of the Vatican Bank in the time that uh, Archbishop Vigano was the uh, governor, governor in the Vatican, right? And um, this um, Ettore Gotti Tedeschi gentleman, um, was actually basically fired uh, with Vigano, okay, about the same time. And it's actually for the same reason, because they were actually getting to the root of a lot of the corruption going on in the Vatican, especially with the finances. But uh, shortly thereafter, Ettore uh, Gotti said, a new religion has been introduced in the Vatican, and it is, the Vatican is the purveyor of this new religion. And he called it, um, what did he call it? Environmental, environmental Gnosticism. Gnosticism. So you mentioned the environment as part of it. Gnosticism, of course, I mean, modernism, paganism, it, it all fits. But it, it centers around the environment because it is basically, basically earth worship. And because they find God in earth, in the nature, and they are part of it, and they therefore see themselves as divine, as sharing in that divine nature, as it were, with the, uh, with the spirit of the earth. Yeah. Well, that's um, not very encouraging, Father. Well, it, it's not discouraging either, yeah. though, in the sense that we, I mean, it's important to realize what's going on, you know, insofar as we can understand what's happening, that is helpful. Yeah. And we realize it's all doomed to failure. Yeah. I mean, we know um, that our Lord triumphs. We, we have no doubt about that. And we know what we have to do. You know, no understanding what's happening just reinforces our commitment to what we know is right. And what is right is the traditional Catholic faith. That is the truth. Taught to us by he, him who is the way, the truth, and the life, the Son of God himself gave us the truths of that faith. To know who God really is, his Father, and by adoption of grace, our Father. And um, we know that the ultimate victory, the everlasting victory, is His. All we have to do is be faithful to Him. Simple. Uh, a little too simple sometimes, because there's not a lot of fine print, right? Yeah. Not a lot of wiggle room, but be faithful to Christ in our traditional Catholic faith. That is what our mission is, right? Um, that is what it is. To, to serve that God is to reign, right? Uh, R-E-I-G-N, to reign. So, um, but in any case, um, so I, I just, you know, again, sounded up this, this call for people to 
forsake the new order religion, which is leading everyone down the primrose path to neo-paganism, and uh, embrace the traditional Catholic faith without compromise, and practice it without compromise. Yeah. Um, I know you have a, a fistful of questions here. I don't know that we got, well, we might have touched on a few we, of them. We there. touched on a few of them, Father. I think um, that was a very profitable discussion we had. Hopefully our uh, viewers thought the same. But um, I think um, maybe... You know, today is the Feast of St. John Bosco. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes, tomorrow. I'm sorry. Well, Vespers. first Vespers, I'm already yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, Vespers yeah. and Goblin. You're right. Yeah. Tomorrow, the Feast of St. John Bosco. Yes. And remember the vision of St. John Bosco uh, with the stormy sea and the, the ship mm. being battered on every side by the, by the tumultuous ocean mm. and the enemies attacking the ship on every side. Mm. And the ship gained safety and all the enemies disappeared and the sea calmed dramatically just when the ship gained, as it were, mooring between two great pillars rising out of the sea, yeah. right? What were these two great pillars? Uh, the Holy Eucharist and the Blessed Mother, her Immaculate Conception. Yeah, those are the two things. St. John Bosco saw that, right? Yeah. The one pillar, the Blessed Sacrament, and the other, the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady, right? They were rising majestically out of this chaos, right? <laughs> of humanity uh, and its rebellion against God and its hatred, its hatred for, his, for Christ and the church. And, uh, and, the, and the, the, just the, the uproar of this world, right? The, the, the elements of the world, the storms, the lightning flashing and the howling of the wind and so on. I mean, you can imagine being in a situation like that. Uh, what St. John Bosco, Bosco witnessed there in his vision there must have seemed quite overwhelming. It must have occurred to him, how can anyone survive this? <clears throat> but he saw the outcome, right? That the church found its moorings there, these two doctrines of the uh, real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and the reality of the Mass as the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary on the one hand and on the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady, right? Uh, the Mother of the Savior. So uh, that's where we have to go. Mm. And Father, we're, uh, we're very blessed here at uh, Immaculate Conception Church. I've just personally had that, I, I don't know, maybe a, a fun thought before as in regards to that vision of, of St. John Bosco that somehow, um, you know, you talk about the Blessed Sacrament and the Immaculate mm. Conception. I've had the thought before, hopefully our holy hours, our masses here that we have at Immaculate Conception Church somehow play some small role in that uh, calming, calming of the sea. So I think we're very mm -hmm. fortunate here at Immaculate Conception Church to have the daily mass, um, have the, the sacraments, have daily access to the Blessed Sacrament, um, have the holy hours here every Thursday night. Um, I think we're very, uh, very yeah, blessed 24 here. 24 hour rosary crusade. 24 hour rosary crusade, yeah. Great devotion to the rosary. Public yeah. rosaries down outside the courthouse every first Sunday, yeah. as will be this Sunday in February. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all of all of that. I mean, there's there's the devotion. Yeah. Um, so um, we have to ask St. John Bosco um, tomorrow, St. Francis de Sales, whose feast day was yesterday, and even our dear St. Martina today. You know, not many people know much about St. Martina, it seems, but um, I became fascinated with uh, the story of St. Martina when I was at the Mamertine prison in Rome. You know, the Mamertine prison is the dungeon where St. Peter and St. Paul were held prisoner, chained up together for eight months before that June 29th, in the year 67 AD, when they were taken from that prison and put to death as martyrs. And the same day, not the same way and not the same place, St. Peter was taken westward to the Vatican, and martyred by being crucified upside down in the circus of Nero. And uh, St. Paul was conducted southward, where he was uh, put to death in Trepontani by being uh, beheaded, because he was a Roman citizen. He couldn't be tortured to death. It was one of the great privileges of being a Roman, a Roman citizen. But in any case, um, as I was there visiting the Membertine prison, I saw a church I mean, it's quite a, quite a scene when you're coming out of the Maritime prison. Uh, before you, down below, lies the Roman Forum. And between you and the Roman Forum is this great arch, triumphal arch of Septimius Severus. Um, but if you look to your left, 
you see a church there that is dedicated to St. Martina and a number of other martyrs too. And the traditional Mass was offered in that church until uh, relatively recently. And that, I don't think it continues there now. Um, but St. Martina's remains were brought by Pope Urban VIII to that church, and it was named St. Martina. It stands over the site of an ancient pagan temple to Mars. And so here's our little warrior, Martina, uh, buried there. She was a virgin martyr, like so many of the other early martyrs. Uh, we're talking about in 13, 14 years old, who, uh, if you read the martyrology, she withstood just incredible torments with... Uh, same, I mean, not that they were not painful, but with such tremendous courage that you really see the grace of God at work, you know. Uh, and um, finally, she she was beheaded for her faith, too, because all of the other efforts to, first of all, um, convince her to weaken and deny Christ failed. Uh, they just strengthened her resolve, evidently, and converted others who were moved by her fidelity to Christ. And uh, the efforts to try to convince her to betray Christ then gave way to the efforts to just kill her. And they failed, you know. Finally, they resorted to beheading, to have done with it. Um, but in the course of her martyrdom, she accomplished what a thousand apologists could not do in, in terms of conversion of souls, mm. just by the example that she said. Yeah. That's the example we have today. So here we have three feast days in a row uh, that are magnificent, more obviously, but, uh, but I think of St. Francis of Sales of yesterday, the 29th of uh, January, and the 30th today, St. Martina, and tomorrow, St. John Bosco. And, you know, they were very different in the manner of life. When the simple priest, John Bosco, um, St. Francis of Sales, Bishop of Geneva, and St. Martina, young virgin martyr of the early days of the church. And yet they were all united, united in the same faith, the same hope, and the same the common love of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and God the Father in heaven. And they were all inspired by the same Holy Ghost to live the lives they did. And then if we, if we just adopted these three patrons of these three days of the church's liturgical life, uh, we'd have all the example we need going forward to what we should do now. Right, let's do it. <laughs> Simple, right? <laughs> Simple formula. <laughs> Simple enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you. By for, the grace of God, we will. Thank you for everything tonight. I appreciate your time. I know all of our viewers do as well. So God bless you, Father. Well, thank you, Tom. Yeah. God bless you, too. And our viewers, too. Yes, thank you to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.